Turn with me this morning to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, the story of the birth of Christ in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus was born in a third world context under a military dictatorship. Jewish people knew that Messiah would come. They hoped Messiah would free them from oppression, enable them to live in peace and prosperity. And it was a time of uh, danger and darkness and despair and division. In fact, other than the military dictatorship, maybe it sounds a lot like our time. Maybe the dictatorship part fits our time. I don't know. But people are weary. There's a great difficulty for many people today. There's certainly a lot of despair and various forms of division. Jesus came to bring peace that would transcend the circumstances that men found themselves in. First and foremost, he came to reconcile us to God so that we could have a state of lasting peace. You know, the Bible's pretty clear. For those who are in Christ, those who are right with God, there's peace. Paul, in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 15, 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 23, Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 John 1, 3, Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son. Peace on earth. It's a common phrase during this time of year, isn't it? I saw it on several houses as I was driving around town yesterday, and yet that phrase is out there among people who don't really know the true source of peace. And the question for us this morning and, and this time is that how will those who have not heard the gospel of peace know where to find peace? Luke chapter 2 will begin in verse 1, a very familiar story to you. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This is the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel of the Lord said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Mary treasured these sayings, pondering them in, his, in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Now, the shepherds were the first human messengers for the Prince of Peace. 
They're a, they're a vital part of the story. In fact, you see from verses 8 through 20 in, in this text in Luke, all dealt with the shepherds and their part in the story. And, and before we explore their, their role this morning, can I tell you why I think it's important that we consider the messengers at Christmas time? People are more open at this season of the year, they're more open to the gospel and more willing to come to church at Christmas time than at any other time of year. They're more open now than any other time of year. LifeWay Research recently did a poll that revealed this. 60% of people attend church at Christmas time. Even people who aren't regular goers, if you take the population in America, 60% of people attend church at Christmas time. Of those who don't attend at Christmas time, 57% said they would attend if someone invited them. 57% of those people who would never darken these doors would come if they were invited. You see, as regular church growers, goers, we assume that there's no interest among non-attenders, but they're telling us they would welcome going to church if they had an invitation from a friend or, or a neighbor, someone they know, and especially at Christmas. The same poll discovered that only 11% of Americans said they would change the subject if religion came up during a conversation. That means your odds of finding a receptive ear to talk about God or his word or your faith, your odds of that are that 90% of people would listen to what you have to say. Luke chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, the shepherd said, let us see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And when they saw it, they made known the saying. Made known means they told it abroad. They told abroad what had been told them concerning the child, and all who heard it wondered. And the word wondered is not like pondered. The word wondered is they were filled with astonishment. They were amazed at the message that the shepherds had to share with them. They went and told others about the birth of Jesus. 89% of Americans will listen, 57% will attend a Christmas service if they're invited. You know what I love about the shepherds? They weren't trained, they weren't educated, they weren't in the upper echelons of society. The shepherds were simple, humble people who wanted to share the incredible news that Messiah had come and they would share it with anyone who would listen. You know, shepherding was not and, and is not a desirable profession. It's a very low-skilled job. It's kind, of, uh, it's kind of the ultimate in unskilled labor. Shepherds were dirty people. You can imagine they were, they were like homeless people. They were out for weeks on end with the sheep. They didn't have anywhere to bathe. They didn't have good food to eat. Shepherds were barely hanging on to the bottom rung of society. And I say that to say this, they were the, the least likely candidates to receive the very first announcement about the birth of the King of Kings. Shepherds are, are like slaves, are like homeless people, they're all the same. And when you think about it, when, when royalty is born, the announcement is not made to those kinds of people. They'd be the very last to hear after the announcement trickled down through all the upper echelons of society. They were not the ones who would hear first. But God sent an angel and demonstrated his glory before them and honored the shepherds with the very first birth announcement of the King of Kings. Why did God do that? I think, first of all, God was making it clear that there is no one too poor, no one too broken, no one too insignificant for his kingdom. 
He literally reached down to those at the very bottom. And it's interesting as you look through Scripture, especially the gospel accounts, God seems to prefer the poor and the broken. Why? Because typically they're in a much better position to receive and they're more open to the gospel. People who are rich in, in money or talent or position or fame typically don't sense the need for God. They think that they have enough money to secure their own tomorrow, so they don't worry about being right with God. They've got it all taken care of. If they have a talent or a certain position where they're held up and highly esteemed in the world, they have the approval of men, so they don't think about the approval of God. But you know, there are also people who are very religious and very moral who don't recognize their need for God. People are in our churches every Sunday. And they think that on their own, they're good enough and respectable enough. They think that if God was going to accept anyone, he'll certainly accept them. And what they don't realize is that God's grace and God's acceptance is not based on anything that they could do. Here's the thing. Most people in society would approach a relationship with God this way. They would ask this question, how good do I have to be to earn God's favor? What do I have to do? How much of it do I have to do? How long do I have to do it? But the real question for us is, do we realize that we're so bad that it's absolutely impossible for us to earn God's favor? Do we realize we deserve nothing but his wrath? Well, Luke says God came to the shepherds because shepherds and slaves and homeless people understand their need more clearly than us good, respectable people. Shepherds and slaves and homeless people are not steeped in self-sufficiency. They're not steeped in pride. And the gospel made sense to them. Jesus was coming to bring about a new world in which sin and suffering would no longer matter. He was bringing abundant life. He was bringing an, an eternal life where they would forget the hardships of their temporal earthly life. You know, to the world, the world would look, did look, and still does look today at shepherds and, and, and say that their lives appear to have no meaning or purpose or value, but Jesus was bringing purpose to their lives and that brings me to the second reason why God was making peace with men announcing that first through the shepherds not only were they more receptive but because of their receptivity God knew that they would fulfill his responsibility and his purpose for them verses 17 and 18 when they saw it they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them God had a purpose for them in bringing them the message. There's a song that we uh, often sing during the Christmas season. It's based on this passage in Luke 2, based on the story of the shepherds in verses 8 through 20. And also based on Isaiah 52, 7, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of them who bring good news. We don't know exactly who wrote Go Tell It on the Mountain. It was actually a slave song written somewhere between the 1840s and 1860s. I, I said written, I should say um, composed. It wasn't written. Most of those slave songs were handed down orally. But because of a guy named John Wesley Work, many of those spirituals were compiled and translated to the written word. The slave who wrote Go Tell It on the Mountain was drawn to or identified with the shepherds, probably because the shepherds were the lowest people in Jewish society, just like a slave would be in, in any society. 
If the good news really means there's no one too lowly or too poor or too insignificant for God to pursue, it also means there's no one too guilty, too dirty, too broken for God to redeem. And if that's the good news, that God can heal and save anyone, then go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. The imagery of the mountain is significant in the song. Most cities in the Middle East were, were settled between two mountains. And so if you lived in the city and you were waiting for some news, you would look to the hills or look to the mountains for a, a messenger that is coming. The first place you could spot that messenger was on the hills or on the mountains before they got to the city. For example, sometimes a city would be waiting on news about a battle and they would look to the hills, they would look to the mountains to see that messenger, see that runner coming with a flag that would signify whether they had won the battle. And typically the first person to see the messenger was the watchman on the wall. These cities nestled between the mountains were typically walled cities and they had watchmen stationed on the walls to be looking not only for enemies to come but for any message that might come. And the watchman would receive the message and then tell it or broadcast it to the city. So what the song says is if you receive the good news, if you've received the message, you're to broadcast it. If you've received the message, you're to proclaim that victory has come and that there is peace. We're called to tell everyone everywhere. We don't decide what route we're going to take. We don't decide which person we encounter we'll share that message with. The message is for everyone that we encounter. There's no one too lowly, no one too insignificant, no one too dirty, too lost, too broken. We tell it to everyone everywhere. Let me be very clear with two weeks left before Christmas. If you're a believer in Christ, you should understand this. Christmas is not for you. It's his birthday. Our giving of gifts to each other is just to remind us of the gift that he's given us. But imagine coming to a birthday party and giving gifts to everyone but the, but the guest of honor. It's his birthday. And so when we come, we should bring a gift. And of course, the question for us is, what gift could we possibly bring to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? You know, the only gift he wants is for you to take the gift he's given you and to share it with somebody else. That's the gift he wants. It wasn't for you to keep. It wasn't for me to keep that gift. The problem is most of us are sitting around waiting for a sign or a booming voice from heaven to command us to share our faith with the friend or the neighbor or the coworker. We're, we're sitting around expecting some kind of Damascus Road experience, but the command has already been given. William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army, spoke of that command by writing these words. Not called, you say? Didn't listen is what you should say. Put your ear down to the Bible and hear him bidding you go and rescue sinners from the fires of sin. Put your ear down to the burden, agonized heart of society and hear its pitiful wail for help. Go to the gates of hell 
and hear those condemned there entreat you to go to their father's house and to bid their brothers and sisters and slaves and masters not to come there. And then look into the face of Christ, whose mercy you have professed to obey, and tell him whether you will join your heart and body and soul in the march to tell the world of his mercy and of his peace. You see, the, the question is not of calling, but the question is of our obedience to the call. People are desperately, it doesn't matter how happy they look at this season of the year, inwardly when they're alone, they are desperately looking for peace that only Christ can bring. So we're to go tell it. And amazingly, it's really not all that complicated. Many of us don't want to go tell it because we're fearful, because we don't think we have the right words, we don't know what to say. It's really not all that complicated. Francis Dixon was a pastor in England. And one night at his church, they had a, a time of sharing testimonies. Two sailors in that service that night who had never met got up and shared the exact same story. They had been on leave. They were in Sydney, Australia. They were walking down George Street. And a little man stopped them. And said, young man, if you were to die tonight, where would you be, in heaven or hell? That's it. Both of those sailors sought out help and ended up coming to faith in Christ. Not long after that summer evening, Francis Dixon was headed out on a preaching tour. He'd be going to Australia and, and New Zealand. He was so amazed at that story that the night he was preaching in, in Adelaide, he told that story as part of his message. And the man in that huge hall, the man sitting next to his wife, turned to her and said, that's my story. I was on leave. And I was in Sydney, Australia. And a man stopped me and said, young man, if you were to die tonight, where would you spend eternity, heaven or hell? He said, when I got back, got out of the service, I sought out a pastor, and he led me to faith in Christ. Dixon went on to Perth, found there a man who became a Christian after that same question. And so he circled back to, to Sydney, and he asked around, does anyone know this man that used to stand on George Street and ask this question, does anyone know who this man is? And he, he found another Christian who knew who the man was. He said, yes, that's, that's Frank Jenner. And he showed him where his house was. And Francis Dixon's wife went and sat in that humble house with an older man now who had struggled with health issues. And, and Dixon began to tell Frank Jenner about those that he had met. He'd come to faith in Christ because of Jenner's simple question. And Jenner broke down and began to cry. And he said, never have I ever heard of anyone going on with Christ because of my witness. For 16 years, he'd been speaking to, he'd made it his goal for 16 years, he'd been speaking to at least 10 people every day for 16 years. And he never heard of one person coming to Christ. But he kept going out day after day and asking the question. 
Dixon got back home to England. He was speaking at a Methodist church in his town, and guess what he found? A man that was reached by the question asked by Frank Jenner. Four years later, Dixon had the opportunity to go and minister to missionaries who were uh, serving in India. Guess what he found in India? A woman who had been impacted by the question that Frank Jenner asked and had come to Christ and now was serving as a missionary in India. Francis Dixon met people on five different continents, several of them not only believers but also in ministry, and all of them were reached because one man simply asked them a, a simple one-sentence question. And you've got to wonder about the multiplication of that effort as these different people were led to Christ and several are now in ministry, how many other people were reached by one man asking a simple question. And by the way, that man, Frank Jenner, struggled with major health issues. He had a gambling addiction he picked up when he was in the service. He didn't feel adequate. He didn't feel worthy. In fact, he said that every day that he went down to, to, to George Street to ask that question, he would pause and ask the Lord, Lord, please give me strength. I can do all things if you strengthen me. And who knows how many, by, by this point with the process of multiplication, how many thousands and thousands of people have come to Christ because he was willing to just ask a simple question. You may not feel like you can, you can share the gospel message in its entirety. You may not feel like you know enough scripture, but you could ask a simple question. My wife taught me a few years ago, I'd, I'd get so frustrated this time of year being out and being in a store somewhere and, and having the, the clerk or or whoever say, well, happy holidays. And she said one day, you know, maybe that's not how they really feel. Maybe that's just their company policy. And so when she hears someone say happy holidays or something like that, she says back to them, Merry Christmas. You know what often happens? They'll say Merry Christmas back. You know how easy it is when they say Merry Christmas just to pause for a minute and say, hey, do you know the true meaning of Christmas? Did you know that Christ came and was born for you? Just a simple question. You may not have opportunity to have a dialogue. They may be busy, working, whatever. But just planning the thought in their heart and in their mind that what Christmas is really all about is that Christ came, and he came for you. It's just a question. It's really not that difficult. We're messengers. We've been given a gift, given a message to share the message, given a gift to pass on the gift. And there's no better time. We, we've got a two-week window here that people are going to be more open and more receptive than at any time this year. Not called? No. Not listening. We've been called. We've been commanded. If you're a believer, God expects you to be obedient. 